You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. Uh, It's good to be with you as we conclude our short summer of psalms. Uh, We conclude today with the last psalm in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 150. Uh, It'll be on the screens, uh, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmaments. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his steadfast greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Several years ago, uh, we were in Disney World. Glad you're all sitting down for that bit of information. And Isabel was finally tall enough to ride Expedition Everest. So we had gotten in the queue line and we were walking up. I was so proud. Expedition Everest is one of my favorite uh, attractions at Disney World. And finally, father-daughter moment. We can ride the ride together. We're going through the queue. And my, normally, my, my very extroverted, uh, very, uh, um, what do I say, joie de vivre, uh, oldest child, uh, is, is usually very outgoing. And here we are walking through the queue, and I noticed that her shoulders started to hunch a little bit, and she started to fidget a little bit. And as we're walking, as you're seeing pictures of the Yeti that you're going to see on the, on the, on the ride later, and so we, we get to the queue and, and we finally get into the train and most all of Disney rides are a, a train expedition that goes wrong halfway through. So you get into the train as you're going to go and take this tour up Mount Everest, right? And the thing like straps you in as if you're going to the moon, right? And then, and then it shoots you off and you go around and you see and you go backwards and upside down and you see the Yeti at the end. And then we finally pull into the station at the very end, you know, And then I look over at my oldest daughter, hair disheveled, dried tears that were pushed there with great velocity. And she starts breathing. And she says, gracious Lord. And of course I started, but you don't want to laugh too much at it. I mean, she's just had this existential out of body experience. But then as we're getting off the lot, as, as we're getting off the ride, the woman that was sitting in front of us, she, she grabs my shoulder and, you know, she pulls me to the side and she goes, you must be a good father. And I said, well, obviously that's because of my good looks, but why else are you saying that I'm a good father? <laughs> and she goes, I rest assured that when your daughter is in the midst of trial and adversity, she calls on her Lord and Savior. You know, gracious Lord. You know, and now it's like a thing at our household. When we go through something, we all just say, gracious Lord, you know. Uh, but that's, the, that's what this psalm is, right? It's praise the Lord. 
At the end of everything, at the end of all of the Psalms, the only thing the psalmist can say is, praise the Lord. Thank you, God. Right? And maybe you have you been in that kind of experience where the only thing that you can say is muster, thank you, God. Thank God. Even the atheists among us, that rolls off their tongue, right? In the midst of trial and you get to the other end of it, you say, thank God. Right? <clears throat> and it could be like the, the big stuff and the small stuff, right? You, you, you get the phone call and, and, and you got the job. Oh, thank God. To those moments when the child cries their first cry in the delivery room. Oh, thank God. To, sir, your test results are negative. Oh, thank God. That's where the psalmist is. What an appropriate place at the end of the book of Psalms to finally get to, it's its, its own doxology, it's its own ending. It's the end credit scene of 150 psalms, which is kind of its own expedition Everest, right? It's its own roller coaster of emotion. We've heard psalms of where we're crying day and night. We've heard psalms of celebration. We've heard psalms of people shaking their fist at God. But at the end of it all, when we get to the end of the post credit scene, it is, thank God. Thank God. Now, that's easy. It's relatively easy for that to roll off of our tongues when things are good. It's not as easy when things are not so good. You didn't get the job. Sorry, sir, it's cancer. Saying thank God in those moments at best sounds shallow and at worst almost sound blasphemous. Now, this psalm nowhere says when we are to thank God. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> we talked about how um, um, one of the hopeful, one of the most hopeful phrases in the psalms is, I will praise you again. It doesn't say I'm praising you right now. It doesn't say I'm praising you with all of my might in this moment. But as hopeful people, we can say I hope to praise you again. That is our hope. Sometimes that's the only thing you can muster. I will praise God again, just not right now, not today. I'm not there. And that's okay. This psalm nowhere says when. Doesn't address it at all. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord for it. Good things, bad things, and those things that we can't quite put in either category. Do you know those kinds of things? We like order as human beings. Nothing wrong with order. We like to put things in boxes. This was a good event. This was a bad event. This was a good thing in my life. This was not a good thing in my life. But those of us who have lived long enough to recognize that things don't fall in those categories as precisely as we might hope them to. For example, my, my um, paternal grandmother who passed away many years ago um, she was a Missouri Synod Lutheran, and don't you forget it. Those of you who know Missouri Synod Lutherans, right? I'm a Missouri Synod Lutheran, don't you forget it. Now, at St. Stephen's in Algiers, you had to be uh, a confirmed member of the congregation in order to receive communion. Well, and my grandmother, 
making preparations for her own funeral, talked to the pastor and said, hey, I want my family to receive communion at my funeral. And the pastor reminded her that, well, you have to be a confessing Lutheran, Missouri Synod, be confirmed in the church in order to receive communion. And she goes, oh, but pastor, you've been teaching us that when we gather around the table, we gather with all of the saints in heaven. And I was not aware that only Lutherans went. So, at my grandmother's funeral, we all took communion. I don't say that, praise God, that my grandmother died. That stings. But I can recognize that God was still in the midst of that. I think, I think that this was the first time that I'd ever received communion, not in a Methodist church. And that was eye-opening for me. And it was the first time that it, it had ever occurred to me that we commune with all of the saints in heaven when we gather around the table. Would I have had that experience if my grandmother had not died? Uh, possibly. Who is to say? But the point is that even in the midst of that tragedy, there was still a moment. There was still this presence of God. There was still this learning that happened. So thank God. Thank God that God was still with us in the midst of that. Same thing, uh, my, my father uh, had a heart attack when I was in the seventh grade. It was one of those widow-maker heart attacks that you were not supposed to survive. He did. Uh, he did survive. Uh, we had lots of life changes after that. Uh, no more onion mums uh, from Copeland's uh, after that. I, I think it was the first time I saw my dad eat a carrot was after uh, having quadruple bypass surgery. But I remember telling my dad, I said, you know, because it, it, does, it does something to you, doesn't it? When I, I remember I was the only one old enough between me and my sisters to be able to go into the ICU and to see my dad and to see Superman being kept alive with machines, it does something to you. You know, your first taste of kryptonite, right? And I remember telling my dad after, at, at, on the other end of that experience, I said, Dad, you know, that was uh, because of your heart attack. That was when I started paying attention at church. I started listening to the pastor. It was my first experience and recognizing that we aren't here forever. And my dad grabbed me by the shoulders and said, son, if there was any other way to get you to pay attention in church, <laughs> I would have done it. Right. You know, do I say, thank God my dad had a heart attack? No, absolutely not. No, ma'am. No, sir. But in the midst of that, there was still this calling from God. Pay attention, open your ears, open your eyes. We are not here forever. Listen, pay attention, right? It's easy to say thank God when everything is happening uh, according to plan. When it's not happen happening according to plan, saying thank God is quite a discipline and it's much harder to do. But there is still God. God is still there and there is something there is something still in there because we are not orphaned. God will always be found. So how often are we supposed to say, thank God? Well, the Psalm doesn't tell us, uh, but though Paul does in first Thessalonians chapter five, uh, Paul says, uh, uh, rejoice always pray unceasingly. Right. And, and, and what does that mean? Especially in the midst of trial, it, it stings. It's kind of, it's like the great parable of steel magnolias, right? 
at the end of Steel Magnolias, you should rejoice. Shelby is with her king. Well, call me selfish. I'd rather have Shelby here. Right? So what does it mean to pray unceasingly? What does it mean to rejoice always? Well, Paul gives, now, if you take that out of context, and we mean well as Christians, we say things like that. Rejoice. Your loved one is with their king. Rejoice. And we mean well, but it stings. It's alcohol on a wound. It's salt. If we put this in the context of what Paul is trying to say in terms of saying, thank you, God, what does it mean to pray unceasingly? What does it mean uh, uh, to rejoice again? This is what he says. It says, to build one another up, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and to be patient with all. That's the rest of that section of chapter 5. What does it mean to rejoice always? Well, it means to build one another up, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and to be patient with all. My, what a world we would live in if we who claim Jesus as our Lord would focus on just those four things, to build up one another, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and, and to be patient with all. I don't know which one of those phrases work in your narrative. I'm circling be patient with all is what I'm, I might show up with a tattoo like on the forearm next Sunday. Be patient with all. And every time I shake, I'll do it on this side. So every time I shake somebody's hand, I'm reminded, be patient with all, right? That's what it means to rejoice always. Though it is true, the Psalm doesn't tell us when. It also really doesn't tell us why. Yeah, there's a, it's because of God's greatness. Beautifully ambiguous, right? It doesn't say, because you got the job, praise God. Uh, uh, because your children are attractive, praise God. Uh, because you have money in the bank, praise God. It just says, because, of, because God is great, praise God, right? Now, the psalm does tell us how. And that's where a bulk of the psalm rests, is in how to praise God. And listen to the psalmist. The psalmist says, praise God with with trumpet and lute and harp and tambourine and dance and strings and pipe and clanging cymbals and crashing cymbals as if there's a difference. Maybe Sean can tell us what the difference between a clanging and a clashing cymbal is. The psalmist is trying to think of every musical instrument they ever made that's on the face. Grab something and play it. Because that that praise should radiate from us. Now, I was making fun of the 830 service last week and again this morning. So consider yourselves, congratulations, you're in the 1045 service. But at the 830 service, we ended the service with singing, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. And they sang it last week as if they were robots. So now, now, a Baptist pastor will pass the plate more than once if it ain't heavy enough. A Methodist pastor is going to make you sing a song again from start to finish if you're not singing it right. So we, we, we pass the plate again. And I told them, I said, look, at the end of last week's service, I said, look, that was terrible. I said, y'all need to get some soul in it. Precious Lord. And I know not everybody's a singer. I understand that. 
But like, how can you, oh my goodness, this is so precious. Lord, take my hand, help me walk, help me stand, lead me there. I'm at the river, take my, precious. I said, all right, we're doing it again. And you better be ready. Do your homework. And I love it. Oh, Miss Louise Trainer called me right before the service, took, took it out, took the lyrics out of her purse. And she goes, I've been practicing all week. God, we need more Louise Trainers in this world, man. Oh, that, that's the stuff that makes, it's like David Burroughs. Uh, our lay leader came in and talked with me th- this week about some big you know, church stuff. But he said, hey, uh, I know you want to do Precious Lord, Take My Hand again. Do you mind if I do a, trump, a, a trombone jazz arrangement for the call to worship? Do I mind if you do a trombone jazz arrangement? No, this is stuff that pastors give thanks to God for. Do you mind if I do? No, this is great. And he did it. At so, and I warned him. But, but, but uh, I also did some homework on, on where this song came from. If I'm going to pass the plate again and make you sing a song again, I'm going to do my homework too. Right? So this hymn was written by Thomas Dorsey, who was a jazz musician in the 1930s. Right? And this is what he wrote about how this song came to be. Back in 1932... I was 32 years old and a fairly new husband. My wife, Nettie, and I were living in a little apartment in Chicago's South Side. One hot August afternoon, I had to go to St. Louis, where I was to be the featured soloist at a large revival meeting. I didn't want to go. You see, Nettie was in the last month of her pregnancy with our first child. But a lot of people were expecting me to be in St. Louis. In the steaming St. Louis heat, the crowd called me to sing again and again and again. When I finally sat down at the piano, a messenger boy ran up with a Western Union telegram. I ripped open the envelope and pasted on the yellow sheet were the words, your wife just died. When I got back, I learned that Nettie had given birth to a boy and I swung between grief and joy. Yet that night, the baby died as well. I buried my wife and my son together in the same casket, and I fell apart. For days, I closeted myself. I felt that God had done me a great injustice. I didn't want to serve God anymore or write any more gospel songs. I was lost in grief. Though everyone was kind to me, especially a friend, Professor Fryer, who seemed to know exactly what I needed. On the following Saturday evening, he took me up to a neighborhood music school. It was quiet. And as the sun crept through the curtained windows, I sat down at the piano and my hands began to browse over the keys. And when his hands were finished browsing over the keys is when Precious Lord, Take My Hand was written. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, help me stand. I am weak, right? And the psalm, the song, eventually ends in hope. Here I am at the riverside, and there you are, Lord, holding my hand, helping me walk, helping me get there. So even then, 
he was able to say, thank God. It makes sense that the psalmist says, praise God, and then he names music. I'm biased. I was a music major in college. I get it. I understand. But when the psalmist talks about music, it talks about finding an instrument. He's not talking about just picking up something and playing. He's talking because being a musician takes years of work and practice and discipline and talent. And though you might not be a musician, there is something that you too have devoted your life to. Something that has taken discipline and time and talent. And that's what the psalmist is saying. If you are a teacher, praise God through your teaching. If you are an accountant, praise God through the numbers you are able to transcribe. If you are an artist, praise God through your art. If you are a novelist, praise God through your words. How is God calling you to pick up your trumpet, whatever that trumpet might be, and to play it for God? This last thing. It's fantastic. Those of you who have Hulu, if you don't have Hulu, find a friend who has Hulu and you'll have a party. Uh, there's a great documentary called McCartney 321, where it's Paul McCartney sit, sitting down talking about what it meant to be a Beatle, what it meant to be an artist. And at the end of episode one, they were talking about how reggae was an influence on the Beatles. Out of 100 guesses, how many of you have guessed that reggae was an influence on the Beatles, right? It's, it, but Obladi, Oblada, life goes on. It has that Can you hear that now? To the marketplace Life goes on Right? And the guy who's talking about And I forget his name And forgive me I put it on Facebook I can't remember um, The creator of Def Jam Records uh, Big long beard uh, Kind of looks uh, There it is Um He said, uh, I can't believe that you were, you were influenced by reggae, you know, because you always just sounded like the Beatles. And McCartney says something really profound. He goes, yes, you can still be, in, he goes, that's the thing with music. You can still be influenced, but the song will always sound like you. You will still be influenced, but the song will always sound like you. Praise God with trumpet or, or teaching or construction or being at Barksdale. Praise God through the work that you have done and the discipline and the talent and the time that you've invested in who you are. Even though it is God who is giving you this gift, it will still sound like you and it is your unique gift to the world. So whatever your trumpet is, pick it up. Play it when life is good. Make sure it's a happy song. When life ain't so good, Play a sad tune. Just keep playing. Praise the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for this day, for this opportunity to be in your house. Pour out your spirit on all of us who have gathered here and inspire us to pick up our instrument, whatever that may be, and to play it for your glory. Give us the courage to go out into the world and to say thank God and to mean it. 
even when there is difficulty, give us the patience for all things. To search, to ponder, to know that you are there. So be with us. Praise God. Amen.